Hello, late night listeners. Uh, this is Brian, and I wanted to let you know that we have a Patreon. It's a really fun thing. It's a great way to support the show, and it gets you access to all kinds of exclusive stuff. We have exclusive mini episodes. We have videos of me, for example, writing music for various things of the show. Layton's doing all sorts of stuff, and it's just a really fun community. You also get access to our Discord if you sign up for our $5 a month tier or up. So uh, if you like the show and you like what you hear, please check us out over on Patreon. It's really a great way to to support us. Thanks so much. And enjoy Late Night with Brian Wecht. It's my Don Pardo impression. Is that a piscroy? This one, or are you talking about the orange one or the, the half and half? Are either of them Piscroix? This is a Lacroix, if that's what you mean. I don't trust any beverage that's been in your garage. Oh, because you worried that I might have peed in it. Yes. Let me see. First of all, it's cold. So that's probably my piss. I can't tell. <laughs> I'm very glad you weren't drinking piss. Are you just going to dual wield two? Well, yeah, I, ha- I had an open can, then I opened another. We're trying new. This is a new Spindrift that we're trying this week. Spindrift. It's a kind of slightly fancier sparkling water. This is half tea and half not lemonade, half lemon. And Rachel hates it. And I think it tastes just fine. What's the top tier sparkling water for you? I think people who get too fancy about sparkling water are idiots, to be blunt. There are people who are like, oh, it's got to be, you know, Topo Chico. And I have no sympathy for that. I, I, I don't like it's fine. Okay, fine. But the only thing that matters to me with sparkling water is that it doesn't taste like chemical fruit additives. That's when I start to really hate it. Yeah. Just memories of fruit. We have to get back in the habit of recording in person. We're in person today. Yeah. As we move into the new world, I always feel like I am breaking the law. By coming here? <laughs> well, yeah, like by being outside. Like I've gone to a few bars and restaurants and sat yeah. outside and like walked around without a mask a little bit. And the entire time I'm like, I am going to be arrested yep. right now. Yeah, we went to like an outdoor restaurant yesterday with Audrey and it was great. Yeah. But there's definitely a part of me that's like, is this okay? Yeah. I think this is okay? I'm not sure this is okay. I think it's okay. Yeah, and then I like get up from the table to go and I can't find my mask and then I get very panicky, like where'd it go? Yep. Like I've got to figure out how to modulate my facial expressions again because with masks, like I have been scowling so much. (laughs) Welcome to my world. Yeah, and I need to really pull back the old scowl Mm -hmm. and appear a little bit more emotionally level (laughs) now that I can't hide my face. Look mad. Yeah. Yeah, as someone who wears a mask for a living. I get it. Oh, here's a question. How do you deal with glasses, fog, and masks? Or are you not usually wearing glasses when you're wearing a mask? I'm usually not wearing glasses when I'm wearing a mask. I wear glasses when I'm like at my computer or driving, but otherwise. Wait, I forget. Are you farsighted or nearsighted? Nearsighted. Nearsighted means you have to hold it closer to see it clearer? Yeah, stuff far away is bad. Yes, that's nearsighted. Yeah, it's so mild, though. If you look at my glasses, it's barely anything. I know your eyes are pretty bad. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, what? right? <laughs> yeah. What is this, a quarter? Is 0.5. This is a joke. These aren't even glasses. Yeah, well, I can't see shit without them, so. You don't know what that means. I know. I know, Brian. Hold on. I'm, stay right there. Okay. 
I'm assuming Brian's going to get his glasses to prove that he can see worse. I don't know why we're competing over who can see worse. Hey, folks, what do you think Brian's going to do for what's popping today? Am I just built to suffer alone? Hi. All right. Flex on me. They don't look that thick because they are a very high index of refraction. Okay. And they're a little wobbly because they're old. Jesus Christ. Put them on. Put them on and look at me. Oh, woof. Oh, that's bad. Yeah. First of all, your glasses are a much better look for you than my shitty black ones. I haven't seen you with glasses. This is kind of the frames I would typically wear. Those are nice. They're very professorly. Yeah. I used to have the 80s teardrops, you know, the like kind of flat up top and then teardrop shaped ones. Those are my go-tos for a while. And then, I don't know, roundabout, I'd say when I was 28 or 9, I switched to the black plastic. Yeah. I'm sure I told you about the Halloween in roughly, I think it was 2001. So I guess it would have been younger. Uh, and then 28, 29, maybe it was 25. I really want to get this right. Um, I went to a Halloween party and someone was like, dude, nice Rivers Cuomo costume. And I was not in costume. I was just wearing my normal glasses and looking like I usually did. That's maybe the most insulting thing you could say. It was fucking horrible. To a person. Yeah. This guy was dressed up as a underwear cowboy, like a naked cowboy type person too. <sighs> Brutal burn. Yeah. What's, what's your Weezer take? Oh, I'm the wrong person to ask about that because look, there's a suspicious number of songs that Weezer covered after NSP covered them. What? (laughs) What are you talking? Holy Uh, shit. Like, (laughs) I I don't want to accuse anyone of anything because it's probably just a coincidence. But if you look at the Weezer covers and then look at the NSP covers, and also that one of the Weezer covers has Finn in one of the videos. We were just like, is there like something happening here? Which songs did they cover that you guys covered? Uh, they did Africa. Hold on. I'm going to look this up. <laughs> I was just expecting us to shit on Weezer, not <laughs> Weezer's blowing up your spot. I mean, do I think they're actually like copying us? No. Well, I mean, maybe. They did Take On Me. They did Africa, which were all uh, some of our biggest hits. It's probably just a coincidence, but I don't know. It felt a little bit like, wait, guys, we just did that. On the other hand, they're very popular songs and logical choices, so it it's probably true. is just a coincidence. What do I think of their music? Whatever. I, I, I don't <laughs> give two shits about Weezer's music, personally. Yeah. I can understand why people like it. I think, you know, the first song, a Buddy Holly song, it was a big hit for them. Sure. I guess it was fine. Capital F fine is totally the descriptor for them. Yeah. I was thinking about, do you remember the music video for their song Pork and Beans? I don't even remember that song. It's not a good song. But the music video is like a very, very specific era of YouTube star because it was one of those where they got like all the Mimi YouTube people. But this must have been like 2008. Or Uh something. Okay. So this is like Jenna Marbles. No, not even that. Before that? I, Justine? No, no, no. It's not like that era. It's like double rainbow guy, like Star Wars Oh, like Tazon Day kind of era. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like early meme stuff. Oh. it's No, uh, I don't remember that. Interesting little time capsule. But yeah, when I was in high school, and this is a very high school album to like, their album Pinkerton, I fucking loved. Oh, yeah. No, a lot of people love that album. Yeah, but now it's like, 
The lyrics on this album are so goddamn heinous in nearly every single song, but I still am very affectionate towards it. I don't think I've heard this album. It's honestly one of these bands that I just like have never found the time to listen to beyond just sort of finding them in the wild. Give me a track from... Oh, uh, Pink Triangle, Across the Sea. Okay, Pink Triangle, lyrics. Yeah, this sucks. (laughs) When I'm stable long enough, I start to look around for love. See a sweet in floral print. My mind begins the arrangements. But when I start to feel that pull, turns out I just pulled myself. Ugh. She would never go with me. Were I the last girl? Yeah, this is, I'm, oh, gets worse. Okay, never mind. <laughs> this is not even going to read it gets worse. No, no. It's, it's so bad. Yeah. And then Across the Sea is about getting fan letters from a teenage Japanese fan and being horny for it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they're all great guys, but <laughs> I was trying to listen to new music actively around that time, you know, to stay in touch with things. But no, I I don't feel one way or another about Weezer, except that there are some suspicious cover song choices that they they made. Oh, the Mimi thing reminded me. Okay. So, of course, last night, everybody's talking about it. I'm sure you watched it, the big Logan Paul fight. Yeah, because I'm a huge Logan Paul fan. You're part of the low gang, just like me. Oh, my God. I mean, you know, Jake Pollers shouldn't be listening to this podcast. So I was thinking... Do you think people would be mad if I challenged Logan Paul to a math competition? I would like, be mad. Enough about the boxing, dude. Like, you can do the boxing, and you can't, but... Wait, did he get his ass kicked? I have no idea what happened. From the little bit I heard, probably Floyd Merriweather just, like, toyed with him for a little bit. <clears throat> Mayweather. But isn't he undefeated? Anyway, he's, like, a legit very good boxer, and the other guy is some idiot troll. Yeah. So I was thinking... Okay, he's proved that he can do a battle of strength. But what about a battle of wits? How would you organize this math competition? It would be in a boxing ring. (laughs) In the same thing. Okay. And people would give us calculus problems, like maybe some integrals that we have to solve. Now, look, I'm a little out of shape myself with this. So it'd be kind of like Merriweather. Mayweather. You know, used to be the champ. Maybe haven't been training so hard recently. Got to get back into things. Got to relearn how to do my integrals. So you set it up like, you know, one of these big Vegas arenas. Yeah. It's a giant boxing match. We could even wear, if Logan wants the same stuff, the same, you know, boxing shorts, the robe, like, like, and then there are overhead cameras. You know, it's just pencil and paper, nothing else allowed. And they just give us a series of problems we got to solve and whoever solves the most, we can do it in rounds mm-hmm. if we want. I don't know what the best format is for it, but I think there should be bells. It basically, it looks like a boxing match, but we just mm-hmm. sit there solving math problems okay. in the ring. All right. I like that. So does the winner get full license to beat the shit out of the other one of the loser? Um, Because I'm going to win, I'm going to say yes. Okay. But yeah. What if Logan just like pulls it out? And really just demolishes you. Uh, First of all, as if. (laughs) Second of all, fine. If I've agreed to the terms, I will take the punch. And then for the rest of your life, you're going to have to live with the fact that not only did Logan Paul beat you at math. Yes. He punched you in the face. Yeah. Well, you know what? That's fine. And if Logan Paul loses, he's going to have to, well, not care about it and not think about it ever again because he's still very, very rich and 
has once again succeeded in directing attention towards himself, which is all he really cares about. Anyway. What a nightmare. Oh, at least he seems like a good guy. Absolutely. <laughs> Just a real good Samaritan putting yep. positive content out in the world. Oh. So yeah, I was thinking about that today. Why would people even watch that? Like, I just love not knowing what's going on. I don't really look at anything that's happening and it's fucking great. Am I still miserable? Yes, but at least I don't have to know. <laughs> I don't have to be exposed to that shit on a regular basis. I probably watched the Surely You Know the Song, It's Every Day, Bro by Jake Paul and Team 10. You don't know the song, It's Every Day, Bro? No, sing it. It's every day, bro, with the YouTube channel flow. That makes me want to um, burn things. Just listen to this. Jake Paul, it's every day, bro. People are going to be so mad that we're talking about this. Featuring Team 10. How many views does this song have? This is a Jake Paul rap song. 20 million. 283 million. The audio medium cannot detect that my eyes just went. <laughs> it's maybe one of the worst things you've ever heard. Here we go. It's Disney Channel flow. It's wrong. It's not a YouTube channel. Why is it Disney Channel flow? Because he's like an old Disney Channel guy. What? Yeah. He was on Bizarre Varks. What the fuck? Yeah. Oh, why do we let people go online? I feel like you need to get a license to go online. Like you get yeah. your learner's permit. You go through internet classes. <laughs> like what happened to ask your parents for permission before logging on? And then if you go somewhere and they're like, are you over 18? And you click no. And then they send you to Disney.com. Please. Yeah, that's a good idea. First of all, I would support that. Did you see there was an article in, fuck, I can't remember where, where basically they were interviewing, it was one person in particular, but a number of people in general about being a part of a hype house and the reality of essentially leaving home at whatever, 15, 16 years old was like, and moving to LA to join a house full of whatever the fuck it was, TikTokers, Viners, YouTubers, yeah. I can't remember. And they were supposed to have adult supervision to some extent. They completely did not. These kids, they had no control over their finances. It was part of like prank culture. So they kept getting pranked in like the least cool and most abusive way possible. Yeah. Came out of it with like nothing really to show for it. People were not being fed and stuff. Their parents were promised all these things and like no one gave a single shit. What a fucking meat grinder. It was the kind of thing where I was like, if my kid went through that, I would be like, I'm driving there right away <laughs> to get them because no, absolutely not. Yeah. I mean, it's hard enough having like one or two roommates, but you have a bunch who you need to start fights with so you can be popular and That's play right. pranks on so you can be popular. And they're like emotionally abusing you and saying, if you're not down with, you know, us dumping a bucket of water on you in the middle of the night, then, you know, you're not cool. Yeah. Having to constantly deal with being watched and performing and performing your relationships yep. at 17. Yeah. What chance do you have? You're totally fucked. And it's, oh, it makes me so mad. Oh, God. What the hell is this thing? Describe it. There's a thing next to Brian's keyboard mm -hmm. that looks like when you would launch a little rocket. It's yeah. got a, a three base thing, and then it has a little a knobby little kind bit. of pseudo tripod that's pretty flat. Yeah. yeah, it seems like some aerodynamic shit happening. At the, there's little wings, and there's like a little knob at the top. Oh, it's a knob. Well, no, it's like a knob-shaped thing, got a little got protuberance. Got that is a butt plug. I know what a butt plug is, Brian. <laughs> I know what those look it's like. It's my custom brand. 
<laughs> this is the prostate perforator. Yeah, I'll show you what this is. No. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, fuck. That is not what I would have There's a soprano guessed. saxophone stand. You just shove it in the hole. You just shove it in the hole and it stands there. So that's when, if you're playing, you can just put it there. And that way you don't have to like lean it on the ground where you might right, trip on right. it or something. No keys are being pressed. You could put a clarinet or sure. maybe even a trumpet on there. Any kind of small wind instrument. But like an alto sax wouldn't work. Because remember, an alto sax is bent. So for an alto sax stand, you have like a kind of graspy thing that goes over the bell. Mm-hmm. So that wouldn't work. It's got to have like a tube with a thing that sticks out. Got it. Are you still in the cadaver gum no man's land for the sax? Uh, I did get the clear to play, but I'm going to be a little bit careful and just give it another week. That's fair. But yes, I still have a, you know, literally stitches in my gum for the next five weeks. But that is a soprano sax stand and that's a soprano sax standing on the soprano sax stand. That's beautiful. Pretty epic, right? Yeah. Should we introduce the show? Yes. Hey, everybody. You're listening to Late Night with Brian Wecht. That voice you just heard, that's Brian Wecht. Hi. And over there, sitting across from me in a real room together is... Yeah. Layden. Yeah. And there is no mystery guest. I guess this is our first in-person, just you and me. That's true. Yeah. We did a mini-sode, which was just you and me. That's but Our true. first that's full true. episode. Yeah, that's right. It's very exciting. Going great so far. Especially since next week. Oh, boy. Next week is episode number... 69. Nice. So we have a special guest planned for next week. So we thought we would keep things chill this week. I am very happy about our run of guests. Recently, I was looking back. I feel like we've had all killer, no filler guests. Well, first of all, since the beginning, but especially recently. Yeah. Gotten some really fun, cool people. And some people like, you know, I slash you didn't really know. Like Kevin from Defunct Land. He was awesome. Yeah, that might be one of my favorite episodes. I feel like it really encapsulates like what I want this show to be of being able to talk to people about like sort of the back end of the stuff that they do, but also like do bits and share stuff. That's right. No, he was great. They were all great. Alana I'd never met before. She's amazing. She's the best. Yeah, all of them. Yeah, I'm curious how people feel about just you and me episodes or repeat guest episodes. Because to me... I like a you and me episode partially because it's easier and we don't have to schedule shit. Definitely true. But like, I like the repeat guests because at least for podcasts that I listen to, they're repeat guests that I'm like, okay, yeah, this will be a good episode. Yep. I love repeat guests. My rule of thumb, at least initially, was got to wait a year between (laughs) repeats. Now, we can relax that, but I felt like that was fair, especially at the beginning where I wanted to get a lot of different voices in the room. And also, look, I'm as big a Paul F. Tompkins fan as they come, and that guy could be on every week, and I would love it. But I kind of didn't want that for this. Yeah, well, it was the first year. You got a good variety. Yeah. We had a gimmick for this episode. Yes. That I don't know if it's going to work. I don't know if it's going to work either, but I think it's worth trying. Great. This was your idea, so if you would like to introduce it. Yeah. I was thinking, okay, so what can we do if we just talked for a full episode, which we've done plenty of times, it'd be great. But I wanted to try something different since this is a pretty low stakes way of trying something new. To some extent, every episode includes a million mini rants about a thousand different things. And I thought it might be fun to formalize that process somewhat and say, okay, now is your chance for both of us to rant about whatever, a specific topic. This is somewhat inspired by 
a bit I've mentioned many, many times what I think is the all-time greatest podcast segment ever created, which is Las Culturistas, Culturistas, Culturistas. Yes, I guess that's how you'd say that. I was trying to do the possessive. I don't think so, honey, where they and their guest get a minute to rail on some pop culture thing, and right. it's like the best. I don't want to time it then that would just be doing their bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do think that some fun stuff has emerged in the past when you've ranted about stuff and when I've ranted about stuff. And so I thought, why don't we just try it? I came yeah. up with some topics for you. Yes. You came up with some topics for me. And we got some topics from the listeners. Oh, did we? Uh, oh, yeah. People <laughs> responded to that tweet. I looked through them. There's a few in there that I think would be good. Now, I will say on the stuff on Twitter – a lot of it was stuff we've kind of talked about before, but I think that's mm -hmm. fine. How many were like, Brian, about essential oils and shit? You know what? Not as many as I thought there would be. Interesting. So we're just going to go off. And if this completely flames out, we'll just keep doing a quote unquote normal episode. But I think there's some potentially fun stuff yeah. in here. Okay. I'm going to look through the Twitter and I'm going to read you a topic. I asked people to specify who they wanted to talk about what. Right. So let's see. I'm going to give you a layup. I Sick. believe that's a sports term for an easy thing. <laughs> now that I said it, I'm not totally sure about that. I think you got uh, it. I think I got it. Layton, I want to hear you rant about Knives Out. Oh, God. By the way, I should say a rant does not mean you're not like screaming. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it is yeah, just yeah. a discussion of something you dislike about it. And by the way, Everything we're saying here is good natured. We're not taking this too seriously. We're no, not. Okay. No, I'm not good natured about okay. fucking knives Great, out. Go. Every single time I say that I hate knives out, I get 60 bajillion messages like, why did you hate knives out? You should explain. I am not fond of Ryan Johnson in general. And I find one of his most annoying tendencies when writing and directing is that he will figure out what the audience expectation is. And instead of using that expectation to subvert the expectation in a way that makes sense and is fun, he does it just to be like, I got you. When it like doesn't serve the fucking story, the knife chair deal has no relevance. You have an ensemble cast where nobody has fucking anything to do and it focuses on the least interesting characters. The reveal of what the actual mystery is early eliminates all tension in the movie like the setting up of Chris Evans as the antagonist. And it's just the jokes are so fucking hacky. And like the story about wealth and all that shit is just so fucking ham-fisted. Like I cannot stand it. And Daniel Craig's Southern accent, I know it's supposed <laughs> to be ridiculous, but as somebody from the South, it's just like sandpaper on my ears. And like the response to, I mean, best screenplay? Fuck off. Did that win best screenplay? It didn't win. It got nominated. Okay. But, like, the fact that it was nominated is just, like... <sighs> so, yeah, that's my Knives Out rant. If you would ask me, like, a year ago, I would be a lot more on it. But I just have intense distaste for it. It represents a lot about what I hate about modern movies. Is there any Ryan Johnson stuff you like? No. <laughs> oh, I like... He directed the Fly episode of Breaking Bad. Oh, yes, he did. That's right. That's a very good episode. It yeah. is. And it's interesting because that episode splits a lot of hairs for people. I've talked to people who were like, that was my out. I hated it. Really? Yeah. Oh, I thought that was an immediate classic. Yeah. I love a bottle episode. I've been reading a lot of Breaking Bad scripts, and it's interesting that it's very textual and explicit about Walt having OCD tendencies, which I picked up on, I guess, but I didn't realize that they were so like intentional about it. Oh, I didn't either. That's interesting. 
Yeah, it's a very Hollywood depiction of OCD. Of course. But they use it in a way where at moments where Walt feels the most out of control, nothing to control. Mm-hmm. I'm almost done with my million three watch because like there's tears of depression for me. And one of the lower ones is watch Breaking Bad while playing Sims 4. Uh-huh. So that's where I am. It's a good show, but every time I watch it, I hate Walt more and more oh, yeah. and more. I can't I fucking stand 100% it. 100% agree with that. And I don't understand. I mean, I guess I do because it's like, oh, cool science. But the fact that the narrative became like, he's so cool and none of these people who are having normal responses to insane behavior are all the bad guys. Yeah, that, especially Skylar, who... Who is the best part of the show for me? I, look, it was predictable that she was going to have people hating on her, but... To the point that she had to write an article yeah, and a gun, which was a very good article. But she's great. I mean, she has nothing but a victim. I mean, okay, she has a few things where she's not helping anything and maybe makes yeah. some questionable choices, but she's not the bad guy in the show. No. And there's something about, like, the final arc, which is where I am right now, where it's like the neo-Nazis, Todd, yeah, yeah, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Jesse Plemons is great. I hate that plot line, but he does a great job. But <laughs> I was talking to Jory about this, of how, like, the character of Lydia, the actress, does a great job, but it is such an intensely thankless role because the entire point is you're supposed to hate her. Yes. And be satisfied when, when she gets she poisoned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now this has just turned into a rant about Breaking Bad. That's fine. The final arc validates that fan response of, oh, Walt's really cool. Like, it's all this, like, super revenge fantasy. Yeah, because he somehow hooks up that fucking gun thing. <sighs> like, yeah. Yeah, and, like, him dying as he goes through the lab. Like, it's... Uh, everybody else gets nothing to do. You either get killed off or you get nothing to do. And then it's yeah. all Walt all the time. And I just... I totally agree with you. However, seeing Robert Forster show up is my favorite thing. Who? I just love the guy. He's the vacuum cleaner salesman. Yes, who, he's the best. He, like, veteran character actor. You know, he, of course, was in Twin Peaks The yeah, Return. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't Jackie know his name. Brown. You know, just like... Everything. Everything. Died a couple years ago now. Because um, the older guy. Yeah. But he's one of these dudes, you see him on screen, and you're like, yep, love him. I have to say, I think the end of Breaking Bad was tremendously successful as a whole. But yeah, yeah the neo-Nazi stuff upsets me. You know what? We're kind of doing chained rants here, which I really like. Yeah. Um, I want to rant about something. And this is a late night social media thing. Oh, God. Whereas I posted what I thought was a very funny joke of a picture of leeches and a picture of Jesse Plemons as a leeches and Plemons <laughs> thing. <laughs> I don't and, even check our own fucking Twitter. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, this is dope. And nobody understood it. Or reacted positively to it. I thought, you know, classic me. I was like, everyone's going to understand this. This is really funny. And all people said were like, ew, leeches, gross. I'm like, no, it's a leeches and Plemons <laughs> joke. Which, okay, fair enough. Like, I understand that some people are very grossed out by leeches. You can't I look at them. I love that bit. Thank That's you. so funny. I thought it was really funny. <laughs> and it fell so flat. It fell flatter than almost any... Well, okay. Some... Jokes on, uh, especially NSP social media, are designed to fall flat. Yeah. This was not one of those. I was like, this is cool. Leeches nope. and Clemens. Like a wet balloon. Just 
on the ground. Yeah. So what can I say? Look, I'm not mad at people for not getting it. You know, like people can get it. That's not on you necessarily. No, but- no, no. If somebody doesn't laugh at your joke, that's a personal moral failing of theirs. <laughs> well, when it's a good joke, it is, I guess. And I thought that was a pretty solid joke. You know, this was not an NSP tweet where it's just like one word and that word is ass. This yeah. was like the well-constructed thing. And <laughs> nope, total, totally love- bombed. First rant is just like, why didn't people laugh at my joke? hundred percent. Yes. Well, that's the joy of these rants is they can be personal and the pettier, the better. Yeah. I think. Look, I'm not mad at the listeners for not getting it. But you're totally mad. But I'm disappointed, mm. which is worse. Okay. I had ones for you that I wrote down. Okay, great. What are your hot classical music takes? Like your hottest, oh. most scathing classical music takes. Okay, I don't know how hot of a take this is. I feel like it maybe is a little bit hot. So as we discussed recently, there's this compositional technique called serialism, where it was invented by Schoenberg in the early 20th century. If you were going to be a serious composer, like an academic composer, or you know just someone who was taken seriously by the forefront of modern classical music, you basically had to be working in this style for a period of, I don't know, it was probably like, 30 years or something like that. Will you explain to audience what exactly that is? Yeah. So the technique is you take the chromatic scale, like going from, let's say, whatever, pick two notes, C to C an octave up. There's 12 notes in between those, which are separated by half steps. Mm -hmm. In a major or minor scale, you can start at any note you want, but the intervals are specified. So on a major scale, you go up a whole step, up a whole step, then up a half step, then whole step, whole step, whole step, half step. That's a major scale. It doesn't matter where you start. Those intervals are all the same. Minor scale is something else. Other modes are other things. Right. So Schoenberg's idea, he wanted to move away from traditional kind of harmony. And his idea was instead of like those traditional intervals, you get to specify other intervals. Sometimes you go up, sometimes you go down. You just take those 12 notes of the scale and arrange them in some order. And that's your basic compositional unit called the tone row. And your technique for composing is, it's basically a set of intervals. It's like go up a half step, down a fourth, whatever. And the idea is you use that as your building blocks. You can start it at any note you want. You can do it backwards. You can flip it over. You can flip it over and do it backwards. But somehow you got to run through it every time. Mm -hmm. It's an idea. And he composed a bunch of stuff with it. And it like took the music world by storm and became like kind of the thing that people did. Whereas if you were writing in like traditional harmony, even some of these very out there harmonic things that some of the late romantic composers like a Mahler or someone like that, or Strauss, were doing, like, that was old news, you were boring. And then, as you might expect, a completely predictable pushback happened because it got fucking ridiculous <laughs> where they were starting to serialize everything, not just notes, but dynamics, the durations of notes. Any input into the music became very, very structured in such a way that it started to sound like complete random bullshit. Mm. So if you listen to some pieces composed, and I'm thinking specifically of some, uh, I pronounce things terribly, but Pierre Boulez piano pieces, it's like, what the fuck is this, dude? Like, come, don't do this to me. It's just like, plank, 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 plank. Yeah. You know, it, I'll, pl- I'll play a version of one. I don't know if this is going to be picked up on the mic. <laughs> 
Yeah, that sounds not fun. It just sounds random. And then the de facto thing came to be, okay, well, serialism is stupid. And now only an idiot would write in that style. Mm -hmm. And my hot take is, I think it's pretty great. And there's some amazing serial pieces written. And if you dismiss it out of hand, you are really missing out on some of the greatest works in 20th century classical music. I'm going to give an example of something that is widely regarded as a masterpiece, which is Berg's opera Lulu, which was a famous unfinished work, which is entirely serial and sounds lush and romantic and is clearly not traditional harmony, but there's a structure there that is, there's actually a lot of different structures there that are really interesting and fun. So I, I think people who push back against serialism, like any technique, including traditional harmony, it can be used to write complete bullshit yeah. and that's fine. But my hot take is I like serialism. I think it's a perfectly valid thing. I don't think anyone should be forced to write in that style. It's ridiculous as it would be for any style of music to say, if you're not doing this, you're not a serious composer. But some of my favorite pieces are serial. And if you just dismiss it out of hand, I think you're missing out on a lot of really great stuff. So is that a hot take? I don't know. I'm not an academic composer. I don't. People are really going to come at you for that one. Yeah. What other hot classical music takes can I say? Like who's overrated? Well, I'm trying to ride the line between being an asshole and not. Right. Personally, I don't give a shit about Mozart. Like Mozart doesn't <laughs> do a lot for me personally. The Mozart stands are going to be and a lot of really people bad. love Mozart, no doubt, an amazing, amazing composer. But if I had to list my top, whatever, 50 favorite classical pieces, there would not be a Mozart up mm. there at all. And it's not like it's too old. I love stuff right around that same time. Yeah. Huge Beethoven fan, huge Bach fan. How could you not be, you know? Yeah. I'm not saying Mozart is bad. I would never say that because it's not true. I'm saying it doesn't do anything really for me emotionally in the way that a lot yeah. of other composers do. I love some, <laughs> I was going to say Tarkovsky, who I also love, but Tchaikovsky and Shostakovich. Those are like my two. Yeah. Shostakovich completely rules a total madman. Really? And, oh yeah. Like legit nuts. How so? I forget exactly. Like this is all diagnosed in retrospect, but I think he, sure. unless I'm completely misremembering, literally went crazy later in his life. Also, didn't help that he was, you know, operating under a very oppressive regime and mm. had a lot of other shit uh, going on. What was what was his nationality? Russian. Ah. So he had a lot of shit to deal with. And I believe he was, yeah, he was alive under Stalin. And mm. it's like, if you're not writing Russian enough music, you know, you're an enemy. It's very Russian. <laughs> yeah. I love Shostakovich. He's incredible. And Tchaikovsky is a complete genius as well. Yeah. You know? Their delight. Russian composers in general, even the 19th century ones, I'm a huge fan of. There's just something about the harmonic language and the vibe that really yeah. has always spoken to me. There's some really great Prokofiev stuff. Yeah, yeah. Also, honestly, you can't you can't really go wrong with those dudes. Here's the question, though, Stravinsky. I wouldn't be able to, like, off the top of my head, no. I mean, the big ones are Rite of Spring, Firebird, people talk about a lot. Oh. Stravinsky, there's many things about him that are problematic, not the least of which is he was extremely self-pathologizing and probably kind of a dick. Isn't every single classical composer just like 
huge asshole. <laughs> now that's a hot take. I feel like every single one I read about, like they've done heinous stuff or have like severe mental health issues. I mean, I have severe mental health issues, but it, you know, or are fucking their cousins or whatever else. Definitely a lot of them had problems. I wouldn't go so far as to say they're all assholes. Oh, before I forget a Stravinsky thing, this is the opposite of a rant, It's it's <laughs> which I guess is a what's popping. Uh, people should check out Stravinsky's Ebony Concerto, which is a jazz piece he wrote for, Whoa. basically it was like a clarinet. Ebony is like the color of a clarinet. And he wrote, I believe for Benny Goodman, if I'm remembering correctly. And it's just fucking awesome. I mean, it is not a piece of his that gets performed that much, but it is one of my favorite Stravinsky pieces. Oh, yeah. So I don't know. Is that enough classical hot takes? Yeah, more than I could have possibly hoped for. All right. Hit me with one. Let's see. I'll go with one of the ones I picked for you. <laughs> These were just kind of wild guesses. Give me a rant about summer. Summer? It's hot. <laughs> oh, do you hate summer? I hate summer. I also hate summer. Okay, yeah. well, tell me why. I love fall. Fall is probably my favorite season. Summer in every place that I've ever lived has been uniquely horrible. North Carolina was pretty mild. Georgia summer. North Carolina was pretty mild? Really? Compared to Georgia and Los Angeles. Okay. Because Georgia, it's the most humid, wet heat possible. And here it's more of a dry heat, but obviously, as you know, very oppressive. Yes. I hate wearing shorts. I don't want to sweat outside. I don't want to have to crank my AC so I don't turn into honey baked ham around like... <laughs> 5 p.m. Yeah. Like, it's a frustrating season. And that said, the thing that I really like about summer is that I can take cold showers freely and it's like actually refreshing and great. Yes, as opposed to just nerve-shatteringly horrible. Yeah, which is where I'm at currently of having to take showers at friends' houses because, as I mentioned, they're redoing all the plumbing at my place, so I just cannot fucking get Wait, hot you water. can't shower at your place right now? Well, I can, but it's freezing. Oh, God. Wait, I didn't remember you saying this. This is terrible. Oh, yeah. My apartment was built in 1922, and it was discovered that all of the plumbing is still from 1922 and oh, has been Jesus. leaking under the foundation of the apartment. Oh, no. But it's only the unit that me and my downstairs neighbor are in, so both of us are just like... Okay. So how long do you not have hot water for? I don't know. Oh my God. I think part of it is that like, I tried this morning because it's like the earthquake meter thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I tried, it did not do anything. Oh. So yeah, wow. that's frustrating. That sucks. I'm getting to a point where I'm just going to do like hardcore Wim Hof breathing and But do you it. know what this reminds me of? So do you remember the fake porn in Big Lebowski? Log yes. jammers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it starts with the woman in the movie going, Oh, that's my friend. She just came over to use the shower. And Julianne <laughs> yeah, Moore yeah. says, That's ridiculous. Who would ever do that? <laughs> that's what that reminds I'm, me I'm, of. I'm, I'm You're living jamming. proof that this happens. Yeah. Friends have been very generous of allowing me to shower. And this is not me saying that I dislike being in other people's showers, but there's something about being in a shower that is not your shower that makes me feel like I am not clean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's also with like people have weird shampoos and stuff. Oh, I brought my own. And then also when you get into a new shower and you have no idea what like the special combination of knobs makes 100%, a- yep. And sometimes it's just like a power washer all over yeah. your body. And other times there's no water pressure. And Well, this brings me to a related rant, which Please. is any kind of water source that has a hot and a cold knob. 
what are you doing? Why should I be required to judge within like a millimeter exactly where I need each knob to be placed? You need a dial like many modern, like our showers here and our sinks have where you can just turn the fucking thing and then you get that temperature. Now, this is actually worse in England where many sinks not only have a hot and a cold knob, they have a hot and a cold faucet. So you have two separate pipes coming out, one which gives you hot water, one which gives you cold water. And so you have to like put the stopper in the sink and combine the water. It's not coming out of one faucet. You combine the water to get the perfect temperature of water and the cold water is freezing and the hot water is scalding. There are older British people who will defend this as being better and that is just wrong. It's just stupid. Is it spaced far enough apart to get both? You would have to do like a, I'm doing like palms out situation. they're, They're roughly a foot apart. And if you want medium temperature water, you have to put the stopper in the sink, let the water mix. I hate doing a stopper in the sink situation. It's fucking stupid. As somebody with a chronically dirty sink, I could solve this problem by just washing the sink. Yep. It's really, really, really awful. Also shower related, I had a pixie cut for like three years. At what age-ish? I had a manic episode at like... 19 and cut all my hair off with kitchen scissors. It was like down to my waist. And then I had to go get it fixed. This was like during a huge hurricane. So everything was closed and like all the roads were flooded. And I will say big ups to Waffle House for a variety of reasons. But in a hurricane, Waffle House is the only place that's open. Oh, wow. But when I went to get my hair fixed, the lady was like, were you drunk when you did this? (laughs) I was like, no. And she was like, if you're embarrassed, you can tell me. But she just visibly disgusted with what I had done the oh entire time. Anyway, I had it for like three years and then started growing it out maybe two years ago. This is like real long now. Yeah, it is. It's wild. But anyway, now that I have long hair, it's just like I have to dig hair out of my drain every time I shower. Oh, yeah. Real long ones. Yeah, too. Yeah. yeah. And then my dog eats it and like it's <laughs> everywhere. Like hair gets everywhere. Yeah. So that's fun. Okay, great. I like these little chains. I, I, yeah. I'm a fan. All right. Give me one. What are your hot takes on children's media? Is there anything that you really just cannot stand? Oh, there are two ways children's media goes south for me. And I'll try to think of specific examples, but it's so endemic that it's actually hard for me to do that. (laughs) Like either they're trying to do the thing where it's like, it's for parents too, wink, wink. And there are people saying like, you know, jokes, quote unquote jokes that only adults can understand, but they're not creative or funny. They're just like references to stuff that, parents would understand. It's the equivalent of like, they'll talk about, I don't even fucking know, like Tanya Harding or something as like a topical reference that kids won't understand what it is. And parents will be like, what? Yeah. Or like a family guy cutaway where it's like, okay, you've mentioned a thing that people know this isn't a joke. Do you know what I discovered yesterday? Family guy is still on the air. I had no idea. I legitimately had no idea that family guy was still on the air. Unfortunately. Yeah. Well, you know what? Look, I will come right out and say when it first came on, I thought it was great. And, you know, I certainly watched a lot of it early on. And then the bloom fell off the rose pretty quick. I think there are some pretty great bits in the show, but overall I find it generally intolerable. Yeah. There's the bit, I don't even remember the context of it, but where Peter is like trying to throw a dead frog out a window uh, <laughs> by that. using a box and just like can is like scooping it up. It's just great physical comedy yeah. that goes on for way too long. Like, yeah. Well, it's, I enjoy that. I think it's in season 
20 now, maybe. Um, so it is roughly as old as you are. It's one of those things that maybe is hard to convey, kind of like The Simpsons. When it first came on, it really did feel kind of transgressive to have yeah. that on a main, like on a network. Yeah. And it was definitely a thing where it was like, can they do that? when it first came out. Sure. And then there was this whole thing with it being canceled and brought back and blah, blah, blah. It was like a whole deal. Yeah, I remember back when I was like, this is great. I think this is really, really funny. And then it just got too self-indulgent and annoying. I will say, I know I haven't watched this recently. Once you get past the first couple seasons of American Dad, it becomes pretty fucking great and <laughs> is legitimately in every way a better show than Family Guy. Interesting. Yeah, we talked about the live-action American Dad porn, right? Yes, of course we have. That's the only thing I can see when I think of American Dad now. Just horrible, horrible yep, that makes Roger sense. Dick. But Roger, well, I think he's one of the all-time fun, great fun characters. Character. Yep, it's yeah. a, one that they didn't really, I think, use well initially. It's that goldfish, Klaus, really got fucked over in the early seasons. <laughs> but... um once they kind of figured out the rhythms of the show a bit more, yeah. uh, I think it became really fun and smart and good. Now, granted, I haven't watched an episode in at least five years, so my opinion may have changed, but I was an adult when I formed this opinion. So, Sure. What's your take on South Park? Is it in a similar zone for you? You know what? People keep talking about how great it is right now. So it was roughly the same time, right, as Family Guy. I watched probably every episode of the first, I don't know, five or six seasons, and then of South Park or of South Park, and then fell off the train. But people say the current stuff is very, very good, and I just haven't seen it. Yeah, it was the kind of thing where, like, if you watch Comedy Central during the day, it's just like constant, it's just on all the time. Yeah, yeah. And I think I got a little oversaturated from that. But yeah. also in middle school, I had a quote unquote friend who would just like harass me all day and tell me in detail the plots of like every <laughs> South Park episode. Yeah. But I think it's funny. Like, there's really good writing on that show. I don't think I would ever willingly watch a South Park episode again. I will come down and say that the South Park movie, the musical one, is one of the all-time great movie musicals. Wow, it's I haven't fucking seen fucking awesome. Wait, is that Team America or a different no, one? No, no, no. It's South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. They do pitch-perfect, I don't want to say parodies, but like pastiches of- sure specific types of songs in musicals so well and make them good. It's really an achievement. Like, I, the, the musical yeah. shit on that show is great. great. Like the Christmas special ones. And also I'm constantly thinking about Kyle's mom's a bitch. She's a big fat bitch. Oh, She's the biggest bitch yeah. in the whole no. world. Yeah. That's an incredible song. And the movie does it like it's great. Yeah. I feel like also South Park, they got that in at some point, probably after the Buffy musical episode mm. it became like oh fuck they're doing a musical episode now and it became like a stupid trope that people didn't do well i can't remember when buffy was on exactly maybe they're about the same time at some point musical episodes became a crutch and not done well i will go on record and say i fucking hate gimmick episodes in general i would say the mm -hmm. only show that does it in a way that I really enjoy is Always Sunny. That's exactly what I was but about to say, But it gets yeah. to a point where it's pushing it, where there are like too many of them, and it's like, I yep. just want to see the regular show. Yep, I agree with that. Another show that did gimmick episodes really well is News Radio. What's that? Oh, Layton. It's one of the, for me, all-time great sitcoms. It's hmm. from the late 90s. You got Dave Foley, Phil Hartman, Ooh. Candy Alexander, 
now I'm going to say the name, and he's very good on the show. Joe Rogan. Whoa. Andy Dick. Um, <laughs> Maura Tierney. And, of course, Stephen Root <gasps> as Jimmy James, which this is the first time I think I ever, like, paid attention to Stephen Root. It is a fucking funny sitcom. And oh. it, they're at, a like, a news radio station, and it's just great. The joke writing is awesome. The acting is incredible. I'll watch Phil Hartman and Stephen Root just hang out all day. Oh, what an incredible combo. It's great. And the other thing about it, now this is a rant. You can't fucking find it anywhere. You cannot stream news radio right now. And it's stupid. It's such a great show. And you can't find it anywhere. It must be a rights thing or something, but it's yeah. it's an all-timer. Do you have other shows that you wish you could watch that aren't streaming? You know what? Yes. Similarly, most episodes, like all the good episodes of Taxi, are unavailable. Like you can watch some episodes of Taxi on Hulu, but if you want to watch the really great episodes, they're not there. And I don't fucking know why. It's very, very frustrating. And it must be a rights thing. Taxi did switch networks partway through its run. So maybe that's part of it. But like you can't find the Reverend Jim takes his driver's test episode, which is just the best. It's so, so frustrating. You know what? I think it's problematic to cut out old problematic episodes. I think there's an interesting discussion to be had about whether or not you should do it. I firmly stand on the side of don't cut things out, not defending what people did in the past, but I think it's important to keep the historical record there. And I don't like the reasons people do it either, which seem... Disingenuous less because they want to do better and more so that it's a PR thing and they don't want to get yelled at. Yeah. Okay, I'll give you another one, another rant. Do you get emails from Gavin Newsom? No. I've been getting all these like, guys, I'm about to be recalled, like help emails. (laughs) If that was the text of the email. But that'd be a funny text message. Oh, no. Just like a single line. Like, y'all, yeah. I'm about to be recalled. Please help. help. Give call, please. Um, all right. Give me a game development rant. Oh, my God. A big one is the way that people who are not even remotely close to the industry are convinced they know everything about company structure and the way things work <laughs> and assuming. Yeah. You're talking about people on, for example, the internet. Yeah, people on the internet. It's like every single game I play and I read people talk about it, they are making some wild assumptions about the way things go on. And I think the one that makes me angriest, probably from it being lobbed at me a bunch, is these people clearly don't care about what they're making. Like, oh, fuck you with that. I yeah, see it that's terrible. constantly. It's like, how do you think this works? That they get into game development for the money? Yeah. Especially <laughs> like, with an indie game. No. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. No one's getting into it like I'm making fat stacks. That one is really frustrating to me. And just the assumption of like, oh, they're spending all this money and time on like cosmetics. and Really, they need to fix their game. It's different fucking departments. Like, understand There are departments that take care of things. If something goes wrong or you're like, why didn't they just do this? There's probably a very good reason why they didn't just do this, whether it's budget or like not what their goals for a thing are. And that's another thing that bothers me, not just about games, but about all media where it's like, well, I don't like this because it's not exactly what I wanted. They're making what they wanted to make. Or what they were able to make. Yeah. Nothing is the perfect version of what you want it to be literally ever. Yeah. Sometimes you don't have the knowledge, money, power, fill in the blank, whatever, to make a thing even close to the ideal version of what you wanted. 
and you just put it out anyway. Because you have to. Because you have to, and you want to make something, and you make it the best you can, and then you're like, okay, I'm moving on to the next thing. Yeah. There's just the nature of the chronic complainers who refuse to even touch making anything. Like, if you're going to sit there and bitch all day, every day about this, I would like to see you try. It's a hard thing to do. It's a vulnerable thing to do. It requires a fuck ton of work and to just sit there and like poo-poo it because it is not you, the main character of realities. Mommy's most special boy doesn't get exactly what he wants from this video game. Like... Also, it's a fucking video game, dude. Like, chill the fuck out. You're going to spend all your time complaining about this? Just play the goddamn game. Yeah. Look, you, obviously you want criticism about the thing you do from trusted sources. People I respect. Yeah. This is something we've talked about at length on the show. Yeah. No one wants negative criticism from a bunch of randos. Yeah. All it does is make you upset at the worst case scenario, or you just ignore it because you're like, I don't know that person, whatever. Yeah. It's partially because it took me such a long time to develop that muscle of why do I care what these people are saying when I do not respect their opinion or the way that they're saying this makes me not respect their opinion. Like, I don't care. Vernon and I talk about this a lot of, it's very funny to read one star reviews of the princess bride of people who don't get the bit. Yeah, like yeah. they clearly don't understand what it's doing and are saying it's bad because they wanted something else. Like yeah. it succeeded at doing what it set out to do. Measure it by that metric. Yeah. Oh, can I go on a little rant here? Yes. We haven't talked about this publicly. So NSP changed music distributors recently. Oh. Meaning the people that send our music to the various digital platforms and more than 10 years of ratings and reviews got wiped out of the <gasps> iTunes store. Oh my God. And there's nothing we can do about it. Oh, that sucks so bad. It's just on the download store. It's not on Apple Music. If you search for it on Apple Music, you probably won't see these. But on iTunes, where we had, you know, put up our first album in 2011. You've charted on there, right? We've charted on there, but that never stays around. Like, you can't see your history of charting as far as I know on iTunes. Because it also changes, like, minute to minute, kind of, anyway. But I have screen grabs of the good stuff on there. Folks, if you're listening, review bomb. But like in a good way. Well, yeah. After weeks of trying to figure out what can we do about it, finally seemed to get some resolution. And we're told that <laughs> Apple knows it's a problem and doesn't care enough to fix it. And it's not just us. That's always my assumption. We're a little indie band. And so we don't have the power of a label behind us. But the thing that came out was this is a known issue. Some of the biggest labels in the world are dealing with this issue. And Apple just doesn't feel that they can put any resources into the download store, mm-hmm. which fair enough, but it would have been nice to know. I would have like fucking taken screenshots and stuff. Yeah, Like yeah. it would have been nice to know this ahead of time so that I could just preserve some piece of history for the band, you yeah, know? Yeah, that's, that's such like, a bummer. It was a huge bummer and we spent weeks trying to deal with it. And it's not even interesting, the back and forths and everything. Sure. But. That stuff never is. It can be something that like you attempt to explain the frustrating thing to somebody and it's like, it's not even worth it. It's just stupid. It's stupid. Well, it's stupid. And the other thing is we couldn't even get anyone to explain to us what the problem was until I found, it was just a lot of like buck passing. And it's not any individual person's fault. Yeah. Like it just was not clear. You know, it was a big corporate structure. Finally, I talked to a guy who was like, here's your issue. Here's the problem. You can't solve it. You know, it's a bummer, sorry, but there's nothing you can do. 
after like weeks of this was finally like, okay, finally someone recognizes that there's a problem and can tell me what it is. Yeah. But it is such a bummer to lose that. Mm. Do we have more from the Twitter? Someone said Minecraft YouTubers, but I don't have anything intelligent to say about that. I follow the hashtag dream daddy tag on Instagram, even though I don't look at my feed like nearly at all. But when I do, it'll pop up. And there was something that was like, your fave hates SMP. And it was like a picture, which I'm assuming is a Minecraft YouTuber thing, but it was just a picture of Joseph, but Joseph dream daddy, like <laughs> Joseph Christensen hates SMP. That's all I know. Here's one for you. What I like about this is I personally, am going to almost certainly disagree with it. Musicals. <gasps> I don't have anything to say about musicals other than they are not for me and I don't like them. Yeah. I mean, what can you really say? Like, yeah. which is fair enough. Yeah. Can you be specific what you don't like about them? I guess maybe is another way of saying this. There's a specific hamminess that does not jive with me. I hate musical voice. Like I have to project and there's a very certain way to... You mean this kind of theater voice when people talk like this? Yes. And listening to tracks of it or the way they talk, like it drives me up the wall. And the way that the storytelling works, it's so reliant on the music. And it's, I, I just don't care. I don't care at all. Yeah. So it feels too performative yes. to you. Yes. So yeah. that that is the reason that most people I know that don't like musicals don't like musicals, which is totally fair. Yeah. But if you like musicals, like with every type of media, you accept a baseline level of bullshit. Yeah. Um, with horror movies, baseline level of bullshit. You have to suspend your disbelief. You have to be like, okay, I am accepting the rules of this world. And it's just musicals have one that I cannot pass. But I would also say just in response to that, I think there are examples of musicals that don't do that very performative kind mm -hmm. of thing and are tremendously successful. Like what? It very much depends on the production. Mm, right? Yeah. So some musicals are more prone to that sort of stuff, especially more traditional stuff. But there's more modern stuff that I think as a reaction to that tries to play it a lot more naturalistic, including, you know, various Sondheim things, for example, that may or may not be more tolerable to you. Yeah. Because I just really value subtlety and nuance. Honestly, that is Sondheim in a okay. nutshell. Like, I mean, you're still performing a show. But I can't think of another Broadway composer who was more nuanced musically than Stephen Sondheim. I mean, that guy, it's all about like little choices here and there. Fair. Oh, here's one for you. This might be interesting. The glamorization of serial killers on social media or media. Interesting. Well, there's the sliding scale of that, right? There's, you know, I'm interested in true crime and I'm going to read about things very obsessively to like, I'm going to get a tattoo of the Columbine shooters. Did someone do that? Multiple people have done oh, that. Oh God. There's like a lot of fan fiction and fan art of Dylan and Eric like being together. I mean, there's a lot of stuff like that's... that within the true crime community. And oh. I think it's not a hot take to be like, that's fucked up. And like that no, whole end of it. That is, is completely fucked up. Is awful. I hate the cottage industry that has emerged around true crime. And I say this as somebody who enjoys a lot of true crime media. And I honestly don't think people should feel guilty about enjoying it because like people used to go to public executions, like morbid stuff is yeah, always sure. going to interest people. And it doesn't make you a bad person to be like, I'm going to read about serial killers. No, not at all. But like the monetizing of it and the way that like, especially YouTubers will pathologize like talking out of their asses. What do you mean by that? 
people want to be like sleuths and that really bothers me of like, they're going to crack this cold case. You know, there's the level of inherent, like exploiting the worst possible tragedy of people's lives for, you know, money or just to be like, isn't it creepy? But yeah, I don't know. I don't get exposed to people, quote unquote, glamorizing it a bunch unless I look for it. I legitimately don't understand serial killer stands. That's when it's like, what are you doing? Come on. Like, I understand being interested in it. But if you're like, I am such a BTK fan. It's like, come on. What are you doing? Also, BTK is the most annoying one. Well, I don't know anything about this. Have you ever read any of his poetry? I don't need to. You, You really don't. Yeah. I did watch I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Oh, yeah. Which I thought was pretty great as a documentary. Yeah. And you know what? There is also the phenomena of like the true crime stuff in tandem with like cop worship, which I really dislike. Or emphasis on like, yeah, this person should be executed because I think we should abolish the death penalty. It accomplishes nothing other than adding more trauma and cruelty to this world. Also, you can never be. 100% 100% sure. And if you're going to kill people, you better always be 100% sure. So, yeah. But yeah, that especially bothers me. Like, it's good that cops are able to crack cases and stuff, but it so often veers into just like unnecessary dick sucking. I had a friend who actually I'd like to have on the show who was pointing out that despite a very public backlash against cops and rich people, some very popular current shows include. Schitt's Creek, which is about a family of millionaires, and Mayor of Easttown, which is a detective drama. And it's very interesting to see people put this stuff aside. I have no problem with a cop show. Mm -hmm. Police exist, and you're allowed to make television shows about them. Mayor of Easttown, I think, is good. Not really glamorizing being a police officer, and there's some very troubled figures in there. But I think it is interesting that these tremendously popular shows are happening right now. And I don't see really, I'm sure it's out there, but I don't see it, pushback against the sort of thing people have been pushing back against for a long time now. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, it's fiction. It's not real. It's not happening. Not to say that it doesn't have an effect on the real world, but like, yeah, I don't know. I get frustrated with super rich people, but I'm still going to watch Succession. Like, I don't care. It's like, these people are horrible. It's a fictional show about also a type of person that does exist. Yeah. So the thing I am very, very curious about is what the next season of Brooklyn Nine-Nine is going to look like because it is a cop show comedy by a bunch of very, very smart people who are very aware of the time and place they find themselves in. Mm -hmm. And it's going to premiere soon. I think that show is great. I think it's very funny. Love the actors on it. Yeah. And I'm very curious how they're going to handle everything that's happened since their last season. That's one where like, I love everybody involved and I think I've watched a good bit of it and I don't know how I like everybody and none of it comes together for me. Like I find it really insufferable mm-hmm. and also couldn't care less what they do with this season, mainly because I don't want to see people talk about it. Like I don't care what the hot take cycle is for shit that I don't care about. Yeah, I try to curate things so hard because it's like, what value does this add to my life? I don't even want to see people talking about things I like. I just don't care. I just want to watch it or read it or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I am specifically interested in it because honestly, the easier thing for them to do would be like, we're shutting it down. We're not doing it. Like we can't talk about this anymore. End Mm -hmm. of story. So I am always interested in how smart people talk about difficult situations. Yeah, that's fair. 
I felt the opposite about the show. I think it's really funny and I've enjoyed the previous seasons. Andre Brower on that show is all-time great sitcom character, Captain Holt. Oh, yeah. All right. So I think that's probably good for rants. I think that worked pretty well, honestly. Yeah, we should do that with a guest here. Yes. I'm going to use the restroom real quick, so give us a little pissing music. You want pissing music? I honestly feel bad for you. Like, this is less annoying than it is, like, have you been listening to this the entire time? I forgot the part where the guy says, England is my city. (laughs) So, what's popping? What's popping for me Well, would you want to hear the theme? No. Don't you, don't. Let me play the theme. Don't do this. All right. What's poppin'? What's poppin'? What's poppin'? What's poppin' for me, I was thinking about one of my favorite short stories that I think is the piece of writing that's influenced my work the most in a way that like I read it in high school creative writing class and it was like, okay, my style is ruined forever because I can't (laughs) stop thinking about this. Uh, But it's very short. It's more of like a flash fiction than a short story. But it's called Dogs by Kevin Canty. Uh And I don't like his other work. I've read his books and they are not good. But this one piece in particular is just like so striking. It's like a second person story, but it starts with, um, let's say things stop working out for you. And just like the beats of it are amazing. And yeah, I recommend it. I read Flowers in the Attic this week. Did you really? Yeah. Wow. I had never read it before. My mom used to read all those V.C. Andrews books. God, I was reading like where it goes from that one because I was like, how do you continue this narrative? But it sure goes on. Yeah, there's like five or six of them or something more. Uh, I just remember those covers, like the black background with the plants being very scared of that image. Just being like, oh, what's going on here? The design of that cover was very off-putting to me. Yeah, it was extremely fine. I think it's the kind of thing where if I had read that as a young teen or child, I would have been like super into it because there's just the perfect amount of like fucked up stuff happening. Yeah. Um, but is an adult who reads much worse on a regular basis and just like, <laughs> ah, oh, it's just a little incest. Yeah. It's a little child poisoning. It's fine. Right. So that's my sort of recommendation. Cool. What's popping for you? Well, I hinted at this. I've been waiting to talk about this uh, (laughs) on the last mini episode. It's a video by Jake Paul and Team 10 called It's Every Day, Bro. Uh, This is a a a horrible fucking runner. It's kind of a hip hop slash rap classic. Mm -hmm. I really think it's worth checking out. I don't know if I've played it for you, but I'll play it for you after the show. What is really popping for me is a roughly 600-page epic poem I've been reading (laughs) called The Changing Light at Sandover by James Merrill. Is this a new thing or an old thing? It was written over the course of many, many years. When was it released? Uh, In its final form, I believe, in the early 80s. Okay. So Merrill is a poet and the son of Charles Merrill, founder of Merrill Lynch. So he's a Mm. super rich kid who is also a literary genius and was obsessed with, I don't know if the occult in general, but a Ouija board. 
And most of this epic poem is him and his partner, David Jackson, sitting at a Ouija board, taking dictation from the other side. It starts off, there's three books and a coda to this. The first book, they're talking to one guy, Ephraim. And Ephraim is their like spirit on the other side who tells him how stuff is working. Then in the second book, it kind of goes up a level in the cosmology of the other side. And they start talking to some kind of higher being was never a human, not quite an angel, but, you know, some kind of supernatural presence who exists on the other side. And this thing breaks down the whole hierarchy of the history of the universe and the structure of the other side. Then in book three, they start getting into God and the angels. Oh, fuck. Um, This this is so unbelievably up my alley. I'd say about 80% of this book is... I believe is actually dictation or is presented as dictation they took at the Ouija board. And he mixes up, there's never straight prose in it, but he's mixing up poetic forms, rhyme schemes. He does sonnets occasionally. It is a tour de force of just him and his partner, David, over the course of like, 30 years sitting down at the Ouija board and taking dictation from the other side. And by the way, some of the people who show up in this characters that they claim to be getting dictation from include W.H. Auden, who's a famous author, Nefertiti, Akhenaten. (laughs) What's this called again? The Changing Light at Sandover is the name of the final compiled volume. And it's very clear that this guy is a trust fund kid who is just a complete genius. And I've never read anything else by him. I heard about it a few years ago because there was a biography of him written that there was a review of in The New Yorker. And I was like, this sounds insane. I gotta read this. And I bought it. It's been sitting on my shelf for years. And finally I was like, okay, now's the time. Because sometimes these can be real daunting. It's a fast read because you like many poems like that, you can kind of read it as prose if you just mm-hmm. want to get through it. But it's so cool and interesting. I'm sure I'm missing 90% of the allusions in it. But, you know, he dropped a few things. I was like, oh, okay, that's a Wittgenstein reference. And I think this is a Borges reference. Like, clearly this guy just knows everything about yeah. it. You know, the humanities. And it's stunning. Like, it starts one place and then goes so far into the other world that you're like, what the fuck is happening right now? I will immediately pick that up because I need some new shit to read. It's amazing. I just ordered this biography of him from a few years ago. Should be coming any day. You know, it is so interesting how this very, very overeducated guy who's also a complete genius just became obsessed with a fucking Ouija board. Yeah. And spent half his life sitting at it in this room taking dictation. It sort of reminds me of, I never read it, but what's that book where it's like a study of three men who were in a mental hospital who all think they're Jesus Christ? I don't know about this. Oh, I've been meaning to read that for a long time. I forget what it's called. Yeah. Somebody online let me know. And then I'll get 20 messages about what it's called. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think I'm around page 400 out of roughly 600 right now because I'm trying to go through it slowly and like really grok what he's talking about because it reads pretty quick but it's also quite dense i think the last poemy thing i tried to read was nabokov's pale fire oh love it the going back and forth is like really difficult for me yeah that's definitely a book i tried to start a few times 
unsuccessfully and then got into it. And I was like, like much of Nabokov. Yeah. I was just like, this is my favorite thing. I fucking love it. Yeah. I read that and then Ada or Ardor recently, which is kind of a, like an homage to the history of the novel. It's essentially an incestuous love story, speaking of that. And it is so dense and so long. That was a struggle to get through. Is that Nabokov or is that a It's Nabokov, yeah. I love his prose so much. And I guess another hot take, I fucking love Lolita. Lolita's a great book. It's a really good book. There have been very bad cultural ramifications of it, but you people misread the text. I'm not going to go into the full Lolita rant, but like... He's not pro-Humbert. No! The whole point is that he's a piece of shit. Okay, whatever. He's not defending this monster's actions. No. I put so much emphasis on prose and like... I would so much rather read something that is completely overwrought than something that is like very terse, like Hemingway-y. Yes. Just because it's like, I read because I like language. I yep. want to see- And Nabokov the, is the master of that. Yeah, yeah, it's gorgeous. Give Pale Fire another chance if you can, because it really is worth it. Yeah, I have a copy of it that's just been sitting on my shelf since high school that I got a little bit into. Yeah, again, it took me a long time to start it, like probably 20 years or something. And then once I got through it, I was like, this may be my favorite Nabokov. Shit, okay. Uh, shall we do Peaches and Lemons? Yes. Which I also did not think about. Neither did I, but I can go pretty quick. Peaches and Lemons. Peaches and Lemons. So let's do a lemon. Okay, go. My lemon is that to get into my apartment, there's concrete stairs and a gate. I was taking maybe for a walk. I get done to the last three steps and I slip and oh, I no. fall <gasps> forward into the gate. Oh, God. Um, but like full force on my left oh, knee no, hitting it. Yeah. And <laughs> I dropped down onto the stairs and immediately went full volume. Oh, fuck me. <laughs> and then had to like hobble back up oh, the God. stairs. And I was Are you wearing- okay? Yeah, I'm fine. But I was wearing jeans and I was like, I should probably check on this. But one of the ones where I didn't realize that I was like bleeding and shit. Oh, God. But my whole knee is like dark purple right now. And for the past couple of days, it's been like a struggle. To- Did you cut it open or it's just super bruised? <laughs> super bruised and then like a couple of gashes. Oh, and God. it's funny because you can kind of see the pattern of the gate on it. <laughs> um, but yeah, getting injured out of nowhere. Like, Mm. you just feel so stupid, especially saying the thing that I said where if you're on the stairs, everyone hears everything that you say. So, Mm -hmm. hope my neighbors enjoyed that. That's my lemon. Okay. My lemon is I need to get a new desktop computer because that has kept crashing, I think probably for memory reasons. Mm. And I was waiting to do it. So, that's a iMac. And I was like, okay, well, I hear they're probably going to announce some new ones. And then they announce them and they have none of what I need in a computer. And now I don't know what computer to get. That's not essentially buying the same old fucking thing, which hasn't right. been developed in five years. And it look, I don't want to spend a lot of money on it, but it's yeah. going to be a couple grand probably, which is all right. It's a worthwhile investment for something I'll use for five or six years, hopefully. Yeah. But I don't know what to get. And then the next step up is like a $6,000 Mac. Would you switch to Windows? No, I have too much infrastructure in the Mac. Wow, right yeah, you're, you're pretty limited on options there. Yeah, because I'm not going to buy that crazy, powerful, and very expensive computer. It's just not yeah. worth the money. Is there any chance you get like a refurbished one? or? I think what I'm probably going to do is just buy that same model with better memory. But, oh, it's so annoying. I feel trapped. I feel like I'm trapped in what computer I have to buy. And this is 
it's not quite running on fumes, but it's getting yeah. You know, you know, you can sort of vibe it out and be like, I don't know, buddy. How much I'm, I'm the same way with my desktop right now because I've had it like four years by now. And it's really just me slapping it and being like, come on, old girl. Yep, yep, I know you're yep, using 90% it. disk, but like we got to go. Well, also, I don't know if Apple's in this thing right now too, but I know with PCs, it's very hard to get something that has a decent graphic card now because all the crypto a-holes are buying them to mine Bitcoin. What? So there's a severe shortage on graphic cards right now. Because a lot of them are being used for Bitcoin mining. And so anything you can get is like stupidly overpriced because there's just a semiconductor shortage, I think, in general. It's more complicated than I'm saying it. And Mm -hmm. I don't really understand all the causes. But a big part of it, as I understand it, is that people have taken these to start Bitcoin farms and other crypto farms. Huh. That's fun. Yeah. And so if you want to get like a good gaming rig right now, with a decent graphics card, you're kind of fucked unless you're going to drop a lot of money on it. Yeah, I am going to need to get one soon. And I don't want to build my own. I want to pay somebody else to build one for me because I like tech stuff, but I don't think I trust myself to do that. Yeah, that sucks. Peaches? Peaches. Number one, Peach, we had a lovely day out yesterday. I mentioned it before, but we went to Travel Town. Have you ever been to Travel Town? No, what's Travel Town? You haven't been to Travel Town because you don't have a child. Travel Town is part of or adjacent to, I don't know which... Well, it's definitely adjacent to Griffith Park. And it's a bunch of big old trains that kids can look at it. It's totally free. And you walk in, there's a bunch of trains and it was closed for a year for very obvious reasons. And it reopened recently. And we took Audrey there yesterday and she got to pretend to drive like 150 year old steam trains. That's so fun. I mean, it's just big old awesome trains. They call it Travel Town. You walk in, it's like an ode to the many forms of transportation. And then it's 99% trains, which is great. So we went there yesterday and then had a little meal out as a family outdoors. And it was just a lovely, lovely day with the family. Let's see. Peach number two. I mentioned this last week, but it's still a peach. Actually, people will have seen it by the time it comes out. The Mystic Crystal video, which (gasps) we've worked on for years, is coming out in two days from when we're recording this. It's Wednesday. And we've been working on this thing so long. I'm excited for it to be out. And I think we have a couple of little fun merch items to go along with it too. So that's going to be cool. And Peach 3 is, I mean, it's a little bit of a wistful peach, a wist peach. This is the last week of first grade for my sweet little daughter who is convinced she's the biggest thing in the world. In her definition, the moment she steps out the door on the last day of school, which is Thursday, she's going to be referred to as a second grader. And she's like, I'm going to be a second grader this week. And I was like, well... Okay, I guess we can quibble about definitions. But yeah, it's her last week of school and she's such a big kid and I love her so much. It's just, yeah, I know. And she's still so tiny. We were looking at a book of uh, caterpillars yesterday. It's one of the best investments I've ever gotten as a father. This like gigantic tome called The Book of Caterpillars. Oh, fuck yeah. And caterpillars look fucking awesome. Also, there's one called The Puss Moth, which I really, really (laughs) like. But we're just looking through it. And she doesn't say the word caterpillar, right? She says caterpillar. Caterpillar. And she'll be like, Daddy, look at this caterpillar. This is a really good caterpillar, Daddy. I want to get a recording of just her saying it. Because she also says wallermelon. If there's a compound word with a T in the middle of the first half and then a ol in the second half, she moves that L into the first half. So she says wallermelon and caterpillar. And it's so cute. It's probably going to go away soon. 
Mm. We did lose a baby word this week. She used to say diagonal. And this week she said diagonal for the first time. And we were like, oh, <laughs> diagonal went away. Uh, yeah. But last week of first grade, big kid. That's my peach. She's grown up. That's so sweet. Yeah. She's the best. My peaches. Number one is that I went to have brunch outside over the weekend and I got a fat Bloody Mary. I love Bloody Mary so much. Even a bad one is still good. Uh-huh. I just love me some booze soup. The more shit you yep. put in it, the better. If you have a bunch of dope pickled vegetables, that's great. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You get olives. It's all the things that I like. There was a dive bar in San Diego where the bartender was a gardener and a pickler. and would oh pickle his own stuff if you went there on a Sunday at the right time and get these massive Bloody Marys with all the pickle stuff in it. It was it's amazing. Just give me a full pickle spirit, yeah. like God intended. Yep. My second one is I've been in the midst of a strange interaction in that I received a wrong number text this morning. Oh, I want to hear about this. I'm going to read. I can't tell how genuine it is and if I'm getting a very complex catfish, but the first text was, and I'm going to change the names. Hey, are you Dave? This is Amy. We texted on Hinge last time I came up to chill with my cousin, but we didn't meet for dinner. I'm back in town again if you still want to truly meet up this time. Are you around? Hinge is a dating app, right? Yes, okay, it is. Great. It's like Tinder. And then I said, wrong number, but good luck. And then she responded, eek, this is cringy, LMAO. I guess he passed me a wrong number. Oof. I choose to believe he typed it incorrectly. Anyway, you learned my name and how I look. What's yours? Oh, she texted a picture? Yeah. And I reversed image searched it and nothing came up. She's kind of got your vibe to some extent. Yeah, I know. So I said, girl, no, that's such a bummer. And then sent her a picture. And then she said, and you're single? Haha, don't buy it. Nice to meet you. It's so nutty, but you sound kind of kind. You're not a creep, are you? LOL. Where is this going? I don't know. Wow. I thought that if I sent her a picture of me being a girl that she would be like, oh, haha, sorry, but... And instead she turned it with, you're not single? Yeah. Wow. I was not expecting that. Yeah, that's a left turn. So I don't know if that's a peach, but anytime something weird happens to me, I'm like, all right. You know what? Having a conversation with a stranger from a fun wrong number thing, that's a peach. I think that's great. I had a really good one with a guy who his wrong number texted me like he did it with a two-year stagger in between it. But (laughs) but he sent me like initially a picture of an iPod playing an REM song. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, you have the wrong number, but I love that song. And then we had like a nice little interaction about it. Yeah. He was like, oh, yeah, it reminds me of destroying my liver in college. And then he did it again with a different song like two years later, maybe. And I was like, wow. wrong number again, but good to see you. you still got good taste and hope the pandemic's treating you well. This is also a difference between you and me. I will not respond to wrong number texts. Really? I won't do it. I'm too worried about it being some weird yeah. stalker. Yeah, that's completely fair. Yeah, I think it's great. The best one of those, this was going around for a while. The guy who texted someone about like Thanksgiving dinner and it wasn't his grandma and she had him over and then he's been over like every year since. Yeah. Yeah. That was very sweet. My third peach is that the weather the past few days has been really nice. Yes. Just like a beautiful weekend. And today it's been raining and it's kind of cold, which is kind of a vibe that I like right now. I love it. Yeah. It's nice to not have boiling hot weather. Yeah. I feel like LA does this thing where it's always acceptably warm, I should say, before it gets Mm -hmm. too warm, later than I think. And then that runs much later than I remember. Yes. Like into into late November. Yeah, Yeah. sometimes. And then you get those 90 degree days and like, and it's Halloween. You're like, what the fuck is happening? And it happens every year. We get like one month of true fall. Yes. Well, 
true fall, something that's fall-esque. I've lived in New England. This is not true fall. Yeah. True fall yeah. doesn't come out here. Yeah, of course. But, you know, it's all fake. Seasons yeah. in Los Angeles are fake. I miss fall, like a cold, rainy fall. One time I went to a thing where I was lecturing in Cambridge, England for a fall. And this is before we lived there. And I was out for like two weeks in the fall. And it was like the greatest thing because I'd walk outside and it was wet and there were leaves on the ground. And, and you get to crunch on the leaves. You get to crunch on the leaves and go to a pub. Oh, so great. Anyway. Cool. Well, that's our episode. It was fun. I like the rant thing. Yeah, me too. Let's do it again with a guest. I have to say, it did not feel appreciably different from a typical episode. (laughs) Yeah, we both hate a lot of things. Yes. Oh, a piece I considered is that our Ninja Brian's Homestyle mayo jars shipped. Yes, yes, they did. So if you ordered one of those, which you can still get at merch.lady9.com, yeah, I'm excited to see how they came out. Me too. Drink some coffee out of that bad boy. Hell yeah. All right, folks, thank you for joining us today. Hope we'll see you next week. As always, take care and stay safe and come hard. See ya. Bye. Late Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Night, on Instagram at Leighton underscore night, or email us at LeightonNight at gmail.com. <laughs>